I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we're now five weeks into a sermon series on the epiphanies and practices uh, of the faith of Mr. Rogers. And if you're anything like me, I need this clicker in my hand, forget about that. Um, and if you're anything like me, <laughs> you're, you're enjoying it. Like I am enjoying this deep dive into who this guy was and how, how he mimicked the way of Jesus, how he was this 20th century Jesus <laughs> in our midst and these postures that we can begin to absorb into our lives and live into into the spaces of our lives. I'm enjoying it a whole lot. I don't know about you. But if you're also like me, you might be thinking about how, how on earth can I live into such perfection? I mean, this man was surely like Jesus. And I can spend my whole life striving to be like Jesus, and I am never going to be Fred Rogers. And this man sings songs about all the things we can't control and the mistakes we've made and the mad inside of us and how we are, are accepted just as we are, but in his well-adjusted Fred Rogers adult self, was there even any mad or sad in him, how, how, how can I take the postures and practices and Jesus-likeness of a man whose level of empathy and presence and self-actualization and self-awareness is on a level I cannot relate to? I'm starting to feel that way. The more and more I dive into Fred Rogers, how can I live up to the perfecter of empathy and presence and kindness how can I embody the practices of this guru of, of child development? There's so much to know about Fred. But Fred himself was something of a mystery. <coughs> so visible and also so invisible, so private, this man was. There was this quote that Fred always used to love to repeat, um, found in the pages of his favorite book, The Little Prince, and the quote is, what is essential is invisible to the eye. Fred loved to drive people toward thinking about their inner self, toward what's essential that cannot be seen by our, the naked eye, yet so much of what was essential in him was unavailable to us, was invisible to us. He was complex, and he was multi-layered, and he chose to keep so much of that hidden. And so the recent movie about Mr. Rogers comes out with Tom Hanks and attempts to offer this extra layer to Fred. And so in this one scene, the Esquire journalist, the main character, uh, spoiler alert, Mr. Rogers is not the main character in the movie, this, this Esquire journalist Lloyd asks Fred, you're this guru of child development. Everybody looks to you, wants to model the way they raise their kids after you. But I don't think I've ever heard you talk about your own kids, about fatherhood. You have two boys. It could not have been easy 
having you as a father. And so check out this clip of when Fred invites his own child, Jim, into the neighborhood. I tried to make one, and, and it just, it's not yeah. right. But could you show me? Oh, yeah, I sure could. You take a bit, and I'll take a bit. All right. Here you are. Thank you. And then fold this in here, like this. And you're ready to put it on. Let's see here. Very neat. Ah. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's nice. Oh, it's about time for me to go. Uh-oh. We'll go see what? Mommy and Johnny. Okay. Thanks for your help. Always make it a special week for me. You do too, Jane. Come along. The two Rogers in their paper hats. See you next week. Bye. Hi, Jay. Hi, Alec. Grandson Alexander. He does like peekaboo, doesn't he? Yeah, sure does. Okay. Find it. There's so much to find out, isn't there? it work, but it has to be up here to make it work. You want to try to make it work? I heard you He said bye-bye to the drums. We have to say bye-bye too. We have to go pick up his mom. Oh. We'll be back. You have to go with that. And so in the movie, Lloyd, remember, asked Fred, you're this expert on children. And yet I, I imagine it could not have been easy having you as a father. And in the movie, you see this wave of emotion and defensiveness wash over Fred's face. Lloyd had found his button. Lloyd had triggered something deep inside of him, had gotten to the essential thing that could not be seen from the outside in Fred's life. And Lloyd waits with pen and paper, as a good journalist does, for Mr. Rogers to break character and to lose his cool and to shut the conversation down and to show, obviously, that he's uncomfortable, but instead, 
The wave of emotion and defensiveness and hurt so evident in his face, it changes. And he says, thank you, Lloyd. Thank you for giving me that perspective. No, it could not have been easy to have me as a father. You're right. So while Fred was America's expert on children, within the span of those two clips from 10-year-old Jim, James he called him, to adult Jim, they had this very complicated and troubled relationship and spent most of their years, those 20 years, distant and estranged from one another. What is essential is invisible to the eye. None of us knew that. None of us knew that. So when I go to Virginia Beach to visit my family and stay with my cousin and her kids, this funny thing always happens. It's not really super notable, but I've noticed it a couple of times. They, they still have a landline at their house, and at least a couple times a day the phone rings. And when it does, the little cousins, my little cousins ranging from like five to 10 years old, run around and they say, don't answer it, don't answer it, it might be a telemarketer, it might be a telemarketer. <laughs> and they've heard this, right? And so they scream with this fervor and conviction about, don't answer it, don't answer it. And so one day when I was over, the five-year-old came over to me and asked with such wonder and this like a little bit of terror in her eyes, I want to know what happens if you do answer it and it's a telemarketer. Do the police come? <laughs> like this is this phenomenal world we live in. So much going on outside of us and so much going on inside of us and it's so complicated for us to navigate and understand, much less a young child try to do it. And there are so many things that kids just don't understand and that's why they ask why all the time. Why the street lights turn red, why do they? Why does water go down the drain? And then you try to answer that and you have no real explanation for it and you wish they wouldn't ask why. And where's, where, where does someone go when they leave the room? And are they gonna come back? if they leave the room. And so children fill this void of why, sometimes with wonder and, and magical ideas, and sometimes with monsters and fear. And so Fred quotes from his, his favorite book, what is essential is invisible to the eye. Fred spent his entire life learning how to see the invisible inside of children in his audience, trying to predict how they might respond to the complexities and oddities of daily life in this world, learning about the essential thing. How kids make sense of this world. How do we make sense of it all? How, how do we make sense of this world? For years, for centuries really, no one knew about children. Nobody did. Children were assumed to just be tiny little adults who just needed more discipline more training to grow up and be well-mannered people. But after World War II, this new field of research emerges, child development. And with it came this revolutionary idea that children aren't just blank slates waiting to be stamped with our ideas and personalities, but people started to understand that kids are constantly sampling the world around them and assembling an identity 
for themselves, a way of being in the world. And so that's how we end up looking different and seeing the world differently. And Pittsburgh, where, where Mr. Rogers was, was coming off the ground, Pittsburgh was this hub of understanding for child development at the beginning of the journey of adulthood. In the 1960s, the University of Pittsburgh had all the premier names. Eric Erickson, who coined the term identity crisis, was a professor there at that point in time and one of the first psychologists to start talking seriously about the inner lives of children and that they matter. Benjamin Spock was there too, 20th century. His book on children was the second best-selling book to the Bible. And then there was Margaret McFeeland, not as well known, she was, but perhaps if we know Fred now, the most gifted of them all. Erickson actually himself said she knew more than anyone else about families and children. And it was Mar Margaret McFeeland that Fred chose as his mentor, the one that he would share those essential invisible things of his life with, the one who helped him see and work through that immense pain and uncertainty of having a child who does not get you, does not want you, and who is perpetually ashamed of you. She helped him work on the invisible in Fred. That was beyond our eyes. So that Fred could help us see the things that were invisible and essential in us. Jesus was also a master at redirecting the conversation away from the visible to the invisible, away from the external things going on to the internal things going on in ourselves. Today's scripture is one of, of those that, it's one that we know really well. It's been taken, it's taken this life of its own outside the church even. I think people quote it and they don't know it even comes from the Bible. You've heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. And Matthew tells us that Jesus said, don't judge so that you may not be judged. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? And so, of course, for centuries, we've aimed to make sense of this. And we've done so like this, generally. Don't worry about your neighbor's speck, your neighbor's sin. Don't worry about all that they do that is wrong, that you could you know, point to or chastise. Don't worry about that because you've got your own speck to deal with. And honestly, sometimes your sin's more deadly and destructive than theirs is anyways. And so sometimes it's, it's the size of a freaking log, let's be honest. And so you deal with your sin and they'll deal with their sin. And so that's normally how we read this passage. Don't judge others. There is enough to judge in yourself. Keep your eyes on your own log. And this is where biblical interpretation gets real tricky and can send us on a completely different track for centuries and can take us on a completely different path than Jesus ever intended. Because in the Greek, the word to judge is better tra translated as to examine. How might this change the way we read this? Don't examine others if you haven't yet examined yourself. Because all you will be able to see is what's on the outside, and what is essential is that which is inside of them. And so do the hard work and get inside of yourself. Examine yourself. Survey your logs. Survey all the logs along your path. 
Know them so you don't trip over them throughout your life. And then begin to help others examine their own specks and logs. Jesus was this master of redirecting the conversation from the things we could see, like all the ways someone's doing wrong in their sin, to what is invisible, the things that make them tick, the logs along their path. And so Fred was often quoting this line from The Little Prince, which is this Christological, like Jesus-centric way of seeing ourselves, of self-awareness. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Take a look at this clip for a second from this book, The Little Prince. Hey, come and play with me. I cannot play with you. I'm not tamed. What does that mean? Tame means to establish ties. To me, you're still nothing more than a little boy who's just like a hundred thousand other little boys. And I have no need of you. And you have no need of me. To you, I'm nothing more than a fox like a hundred thousand foxes. But if you tame me, then we shall need each other. What is essential is invisible to the eye, except the full quote, if you heard it there, in the book, is it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Sometimes the most important feelings we have, the most essential ones, are the quiet, nearly invisible ones. The tiny feeling of regret that nags at us when we think we might be hurting someone, that that small tingle we feel when we're doing something we love. Maybe when we were children, those feelings were louder in us. Maybe they were more intense in us and we've forgotten what they feel like. But the thing is, as children, we don't yet know which feelings are to be ignored, like the fear that the police are going to come when, when telemarketers call, and which ones are important, like the, like the feeling that someone you trust might be, might be trying to actively hurt you. And so we count on the adults in our lives when we're kids to help us sort that all out as we grow. We count it on our own adults. You may not have children, but you are a child. We have counted on the adults in our lives to help us with that as we grow. So what happens when the adults who are teaching us as themselves are unable to listen to their hearts? What happens then when that happens? What happens when we don't pay attention to how we're feeling? us adults, or what we need, or how they're feeling, or what they need. What happens when adults can't help us because their lives are too busy, or too loud, or too distracted, or too full of fear? And when we're left alone with feelings we don't understand, or know what in the world to do with, what kind of world does that make when we're like that? What kind of world could we have? if we were better at listening to those quiet cues from children, especially the kids that live inside of us. So Fred Rogers called this, this realizing the invisible 
is essential. He said it's allowing people to see the comfortable inside of me. I wonder what that looks like for you, allowing people to see the comfortable inside of you. Because so much of what we put on the outside, so much we of what we show, those smiles that Miss Alyssa showed are like Vaselined on. <laughs> They're not comfortable. That's not a comfortable stance. If we smiled like, like that in real life, like we do on social media, there's, no, there's no, nothing comfortable about that. But what does it look like to show others the comfortable inside of us? Fred was not an expert at this. But he tried by going to see Margaret and talking about the comfortable inside of him to begin to tell us how to see the comfortable in ourselves. And Jesus did the same. When I think about Jesus and showing us what it looks like to show the comfortable, the invisible spaces. I cannot think of anyone other than Barbara McDaniel. And so um, just Saturday, Barbara passed away from, um, from cancer. Saturday morning at about um, 9.55 a.m. And um, if anybody has been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know that uh, she has made an impact on this church and on you personally, I guarantee it. I guarantee she has in your life in some way. Um, and so when I think about like, this invisible space inside us and what we do on the outside versus what's happening on the inside, I, I, will, never, I will never forget Barbara. Brett and I had the opportunity to, to visit Barbara last Sunday after church. And um, if you know me, I grew up on rap music. And so it's been a struggle for my time at, at Kingstown to like get behind this bluegrass thing that this church was about. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I want to love it, but I don't naturally love it in myself. And, and, and so uh, I, but I know Barbara loves bluegrass. So Brett and I went and Brett brought his guitar and, and we decided to sing some of Barbara's favorites with her on Sunday and we're so glad we did. And, uh, and there's this thing that we do around death that is so, um, protective, that everyone around us is still giving um, the, the cheers to hold on and the strength to hold on. And the funny thing is the person who's dying always knows the invisible. And they're always willing to name it and ask for it. They're always, there's something about the invisible with them that is different than what we have. And so we, she asked us to sing these songs. I had no idea what I was getting into when we started singing bluegrass songs with Barbara. But um, on hospice, we heard one of her favorite songs is Precious Lord, Take My Hand. And so um, we started singing um, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. She knew exactly what she was feeling. She knew the invisible inside of her. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand, precious Lord. And so sitting there with Barbara in that space, it was holy. And she gave me this new, profound, profound appreciation for bluegrass music because that was written for those invisible moments. 
and I got to lean over to, if you've seen the Mr. Rogers movie, you know this point at the end where um, the journalist's father is, is dying and Mr. Rogers leans into her, leans into him and says, whispers something in his ear. And then, of course, Lloyd asks, what did you whisper in my father's ear? He says, well, I asked him to pray for me because anyone going through that must be awfully close to God. And so this week I got to whisper that in Barbara's ear. I got to whisper in Barbara's ear in that invisible space who she knew she was worn and she was tired and she was weary even when we were telling her to buck up and be strong. I got to whisper in her ear, her ear Barbara, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me because anyone going through that must be awfully close to God, awfully close to the Jesus who always is turning us back inside ourselves and back inside the space where we, where we really know what we need and what we want and what God is calling us to. Would you pray with me? God, in those invisible spaces, that's when we know who we are, when we know we are yours, when, when we get to those, those barriers, those, those just sweet space between life and death, that is where um, the essential is. That's where, God, that's where we find you. And so take us deeper, God. Take us to those essential things in us those emotions, those experiences, those thoughts that shape us. So that we can wipe the smile off the facade and begin to open ourselves up to others in real ways. God, we lift before you the McDaniel family. We lift before you Barbara, who is, as we will gather around the table today, communing with all the saints. We lift before you every person who, what's down deep inside of them is too raw and too much, and so the stay on the surface level is about all they can do right now. We lift them, we lift them to you, too. We lift to you, Phil, and Peter's family. And we lift to you all those, all those in our lives who are in need of the essential things. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.